So, the book of Proverbs is wisdom literature. Uh, the book of Proverbs gives us common sense advice and principles for everyday life. I'm going to say that almost as if I didn't forget to push record the first time. So the theme of wisdom is very prominent in this book. It's really hard not to, not to acknowledge that. Uh, what's, what's wisdom? Uh, maybe my favorite definition was by J.I. Packer. Again, like I've, I've, I've exult, exulted in my gladness that I read G.I. Packer when I first became a Christian. My uncle gave me knowing God as a brand new Christian. And I remember with, this was one of the first things I learned as a new believer. He had a chapter in there on the wisdom of God. And he said, wisdom is not just knowing what is right, but it is being paired with the ability to do it. Wisdom is not just knowing information or knowing moral information, but it's having the power to put it into practice and actually do it. And so um, wisdom has to do with character. Wisdom has to do with who we are deep inside. Uh, Are we a fool? Are we somebody who is oriented toward the wrong? Or are we a wise person, someone who's oriented to the right? Um, one of the things, I don't remember who pointed this out. It's probably been said too much to be ascribed to anybody at this point. But we live in a moment where there has been an expansion of knowledge and a famine of wisdom. Tons of knowledge. You can pull out your phone, look up any piece of information you want, and yet nobody knows what to do with it. We're all a bunch of fools walking around with all the information. Um, there is a difference between knowledge and wisdom, and that's one of the things that comes through loud and clearly in Proverbs, because Proverbs is a book that's more interested in your character than in what you know. Um, in many respects, the book of Proverbs is a book that drives its readers to seek true wisdom. So it's saying wisdom is important. You should seek it. You should make your life about following it and finding it. Um, the book also shows us that wisdom, what wisdom looks like in various areas of life. What does it look like in relation to us and God? What does wisdom look like as we parent and as we take care of our children and as we have relationships with people? What does wisdom look like when it comes to our wealth or our possessions? Um, what does wisdom look like in terms of how we talk, how we use our mouths, how we speak? Proverbs says, wisdom touches on every one of these areas. So you deal with wisdom well in a person, and suddenly you find a person who's actually able to cope in all these other areas that you wouldn't have thought also are connected. Um, Proverbs presents this theme of the theme of its book up front. What's the theme of Proverbs? I'm going to ask, I'm going to crowdsource this one. What would the, a good, be a good theme of the book of Proverbs be? The beginning of wisdom. A father's lessons for his son. That's a good, a good uh, summary of the first 10 chapters. The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. So you've basically given my answer that I was going to give. I like Derek's answer, but I like yours better because that's what I had written down here. Um, the fear of the Lord, not terror of the Lord, right? Not being afraid of the Lord. It's the fear of the Lord. It's that awe, that respect that's supposed to, that we're supposed to have that sort of dominates our lives. I walk about as somebody who lives under the sun. I'm cheating and getting ahead to Ecclesiastes. Uh, I walk around as somebody who's a creature who is made by him and I know it and I live that way. And because of that, I fear God. I'm not afraid of him because I'm redeemed. I'm rescued. I don't have to be afraid of him, but I still fear him. And, and it's the interesting thing here is that it says that it's the beginning of knowledge. It's not the totality of knowledge. But also, if you think about it as well, I think that the implication here is that without fearing God, we can't have real knowledge. 
without fearing God, without having a God-shaped worldview, everything we see around us is we're, we're processing it and we're making an illusion out of it all. We're imagining it all to be a, a, a product of chance. We're imagining it all to be a product of something that's not reality. Um, we're imagining that no one put this here. We're imagining that we're walking about and that, that we are the masters of all of this. And so everything we're building upon, all of our knowledge and information that we're gaining, what are we doing? It's all an edifice that's built on lies. And so I think that the author of Proverbs is saying that our knowledge is an illusion if we don't have God at the center of it. Yeah. Well, also the word fear can also mean reverence. Mm -hmm. So if you don't revere his creation, in a sense, you're not honoring him. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's why he puts Adam and Eve in the garden and says, be stewards of this. Take care of it. Um, because that's, a, that's an expression of the God-centered worldview that we've got. Um, but anyway, it's, he, says, he says that this is the beginning of wisdom. That also means that just because we fear God doesn't mean we know everything. But it means that if we don't know God and we don't fear God, that our knowledge is an illusion. I think those are two implications, at least, of that theme of this book. And so he's driving us toward a world where we're not trying to picture ourselves as separated from him. We're not trying to picture ourselves as like these autonomous entities who walk around and we can say, this is my world. No, never. This is God's world. Um, Let's talk about authorship of the book. The book is, uh, most of Proverbs is written by Solomon. You see it in the very first verse. Solomon wrote Proverbs 1 to 24. Actually, I'm not going to write this because I'm going to give you an outline in a minute that kind of, I think it's better. Um, He wrote the first 24 chapters of Proverbs. Um, Extremely wealthy, extremely powerful, very wise. He shepherds Israel through the height of its wealth, the height of its power. Um, There are things that happen during the reign of Solomon that David could only have dreamed of. What's the biggest thing that, that David didn't get to see? The temple, the temple right? Solomon is, is presiding over Israel with a constructed and completed temple. It's Solomon's temple. I mean, that's what we call it anyway. I don't think God would want it to be called that, but uh, that's what we call it. Uh, it's Solomon's temple. Uh, and it, it, it ends up being one of the wonders of the ancient world. That people are coming from far and wide to see this thing. And it is not during David's reign. It's during Solomon's reign. Uh, I'm going to read you five verses, just a pretty good summary of, of Solomon, especially at the height of his power. It says this, and God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure. This is 1 Kings 4.29. God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all other men, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon, and to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke also of beasts, and of birds, and of reptiles, and of fish. The people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. So, pretty... Pretty, I mean, I'm not sure that if any of us wanted to have an epitaph written about us, I'm not sure there's a lot more that we would desire than something like that, at least in worldly terms. Man, this guy's a winner. Um, 
So you have chapters 1 to 24 are written by Solomon. Uh, King Hezekiah appears to have edited or compiled chapters 25 to 29. And then you have Agur, who wrote chapter 30. And then you have Lemuel, who wrote Proverbs 31. Uh, we probably remember Proverbs 31, the godly woman passage, right? The, um, the Proverbs 31 woman. Uh, that's what we generally think of, at least, when we think of that chapter. So good old Lemuel sort of left his mark on the church. Um, genre, though. Let's talk about wisdom literature. Wisdom literature is writing that is meant to make us wise. It's writing that's meant to make us understand the universe as God made it, to see the universe the way that God sees it, to see ourselves the way that God sees us, and to live in a way that honors him. That's what wisdom literature is. It's saying, who are you? Who is God? What is true? And how should you see yourself? So that's wisdom literature. What's a proverb? A proverb is just a simple illustration that exposes the fundamental realities of life. It's a simple illustration that exposes the fundamental realities of life. A proverb is short. It is simple. It makes you understand something about life better. Easy to remember. That's what a proverb is. Um, Structurally, I'm going to say a few words about the structure of proverbs. The structure of proverbs is nuts. Here's... Now, God knows what he's doing. He put together Proverbs. I'm not going to question the way that he put together Proverbs. More than one, on more than one occasion, I have tried to flex my preacher skills. And I have sat down with the book of Proverbs. And I have said, how can I preach the book of Proverbs? And I have not figured it out yet. I don't know how you preach the book of Proverbs. Um, the best I can think of is you could do sermons on themes in Proverbs. So you could do sermons on, you could speak on what real wisdom is. You could do a sermon on what laziness and hard work is. You could do a sermon on chastity. Um, You could do it, you could, but but it's not as easy as doing what I usually do, which is let's walk through this book. If you walk through Proverbs, you get all of Solomon here, you get all of Agur here, you get Lemuel here. Um, and th- sometimes there's not a tight relationship between the, the verses. So usually I'll say, hey, there's an argument being made. There's nothing, there's no arguments being made in Proverbs. Um, or if they are, they're far between. So how do you structure a book like Proverbs? Okay, so, so chapters 1 to 9 are prologue. Um, this is fatherly instruction like Eric was talking about. This is the father speaking to his son. Uh, expressing to him the call to wisdom. It's almost like this setup for how important wisdom really is. How, why should you gear up for the rest of this book? And Proverbs 1 to 9 is getting you ready for it. Um, nine chapters of make sure to listen to this. Make sure to get ready. Make sure to do what's wise. Make sure not to be an idiot, son. Um, all of that, first just nine chapters. So then, I think it's 24. 29, okay, yeah. <clears throat> then 10 to 29, keep in mind last five chapters of that are organized by Hezekiah. They are the collected sayings of Solomon. Honestly, the author of the section is the easiest way to organize the book. <laughs> uh, I have a really in-depth two-volume commentary on Proverbs. I thought surely this one will crack the code for me. And uh, his outline is pretty wild. It's hard to follow. Um <laughs> Chapter 30, the sayings of Agur, and then chapter 31 is the sayings of Lemuel. I don't know a better way to structure the book in terms of simplified structure. If we were really going to outline it, it would probably have about 30 points to the outline. Um, so let's talk about chapters 1 to 9. 
Chapters 1 to 9 are like a conversation from a father to his son. This is a guy who's sharing the things that he knows. He's sharing the things that he has learned with his son so that his son can live a fruitful life. I don't want you to go off the righteous path, son. I want you to do what's right. Let me see if I can help you with that. So he, he addresses a few things. One of the things he talks about is the importance of wisdom and fearing the Lord. So he's, he says, look, there is value in personal integrity. There is value in being a virtuous and generous person. And so he wants his son to imbibe this. He wants him to take this in and make it a part of who he is. He talks about the way that the life of integrity leads to success and it leads to peace. We'll talk about, by the way, whether or not the Proverbs is like a guide path to having a good life or not. Um, the father also talks to his son and says, look, not only should you positively care about virtue and care about, about godliness and care about generosity, but you also have a lot of things in life you need to steer away from, son. If you're going to be wise, steer away from this. He says, he says avoid foolishness because foolishness and evil leads to death. Selfish, selfishness and pride leads to death. It leads to ruin and shame. And then he gives these examples, and we've been reading them on Sunday mornings. Um, he gives these examples of men whom the father has seen. He's watched it with his own eyes. Men who followed the foolish path, and he saw what happened to their lives. Um, it's one thing for you to speak abstractly and to tell your son, hey, son, uh, make sure you're a good man. It's another thing to look at your son and say, I have watched people ruin their lives. Let me tell you the things that I learned by what these people have done. Um, that's what he's doing. He's drawing upon his experience. He's drawing upon what he's seen. And he's saying, son, please don't be like that. You're being warned. You're, you've got advanced notice. There's no reason for this. And you can probably think of people who decided to follow the path of folly and, and of evil. I have people coming into my mind as I speak. People I have personal relationships with. And now their lives are misery and ruin. Um, <clears throat> this book is also an invitation from God to listen to the wisdom of those who came before. Um, hear what I'm saying. It is very important for us as Christians to be protected from chronological snobbery. I stole that from C.S. Lewis. Um, in, our, in our cultural moment, we tend to look at something that's new and think that it is better. And we tend to look at old and think that it is bad. And we look at old things and we say, oh man, get with the times. And that is chronological snobbery, right? It's the belief that if something is old, then it must be bad or it must be outdated. Um, C.S. Lewis said, don't do it. He said, you should make it your practice to every time you read a new book, also read an old book. Jump back and forth. Make sure there's variety in what you're learning and what you're hearing. Um, Chesterton. Do you guys remember what Chesterton said about the democracy of the dead? Uh, he had this great quote. I'm trying to remember the entire thing, but, but I, I think he said that uh, democracy of the dead is making sure that those who are, uh, are alive don't get all the vote. He, said we, um, he says we should refuse to submit to the small, arrogant oligarchy of those who merely happen to be walking about. Uh, You've got to love Chesterton. Uh, so just because something's old doesn't make it bad, doesn't make it boring. Book of Proverbs is like, listen to those who came before. They've walked on this ground. They have lived this life. It is worth listening to them. Um, we need the wisdom of people who came before us. 
you get at a certain age and you you realize it. I think it clicks into place that the people who came before you are worth listening to. Um, my dad died in 2001. And when my father, at the, at the time in his life when my father passed away, I was 18 years old. Uh, I was, no, I was 19. I was just so convinced that my dad was an idiot. I was really convinced that my dad was just a relic from another time and that I understood life and I understood what it was really like. And, you know, I was the idiot. I really was. And you probably knew I was going to say that. But it's true. And we don't see it until later. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes when I'm talking to the college students, you know, when I was talking to college students at Bellhaven, I was telling them all this. I was like, listen to your parents. Some of you have parents who are genuinely probably fools. But I have a feeling most of you in this room, your parents are smart people and they care about you. You should be listening to them. Um, you should be listening to those who've come before you. And now here I am. Uh, I'm closing in on 40. I got the gray in my beard. I got the gray starting to show up in my hair. And I wish that I had, could go to my dad and ask him for advice about stuff. Uh, and I don't have him anymore. I can't ask him those things. Um, so there comes a point where you really feel like you're foolish and you realize you were the fool. And Proverbs is saying, listen to the ones that maybe you want to ignore, that you think don't have anything good to say. Um, Chapters 10 to 29 give advice on all kinds of subjects. Uh, 10 to 29 is sort of the part of Proverbs we really think of when we think of Proverbs. It's basically um, telling us how to apply the wisdom of the last section. It's just going through, here's what a, here's what a conversation is that, that, that goes bad. Here's your role in that conversation going bad. Um, here's what the kind of person who picks fights is like. This is what his life's going to turn out like. You know, just giving all these principles. Um, but this is actually where I want to interject something, which is make sure you understand these are proverbs, not promises. These are proverbs, not laws. So not everyone who practices an evil life has his life ruined. There are some people that just, it just seems like they just jumped through all of these uh, uh, disasters that should have come their way because they were fools. Like you look at a person like Hugh Hefner and you just go, I don't know how he did it. He made it to the end. Uh, now, he, he's, <laughs> he didn't make it. <laughs> I don't think anyway, unless something weird happened at the very end. But you look at somebody like this and you go, how does this book uh, factor in a life like that, where somebody just gives into themselves for their entire life and serves themselves and everything seems to be fine? Well, that's actually part of why we have to say these are proverbs, not promises. These are, these are telling us generally what happens. Not everyone who lives an evil life ends up experiencing misery in this life. And not everyone who lives a virtuous and generous life ends up successful and peaceful. Yeah, Benjamin. But, but even in the case of Hugh Hefner, we don't know what has happened in, in his own solitude. Yeah. When he's by himself. Sure. The fears he may have, the concerns, who knows? He may put a a happy face and a prosperous face to the public, mm-hmm. but behind closed doors, who knows? Yeah, so there, there's, there's all potential for all kinds of suffering that we don't know about, but you know, we just look around us and we think, well, I don't see how the consequences of Proverbs have played out in his life, you know, not until later maybe. Um, actually, if you read books about the man, you'll probably find out all sorts of miseries that he experienced. Um, but... I think it's still something that we need to say because here's the other flip side of things. There are people who do what God says. They live their life by the the principles of Proverbs, for example, 
and they're miserable. And they're not miserable. They're not miserable. They're miserable in a worldly sense. Like maybe their bodies are falling apart or their finances are in shambles or they've been a victim of, of somebody. Um, something's happened to them and they didn't, they didn't do something in that you could look at Proverbs and go, oh, look at that person. This is where they really messed up, you know. Um, so there's suffering that happens a lot of times and it doesn't line up with the principles that we think should explain why their life is the way that it is. Like the Lord Jesus Christ. Like the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, he's guy ends up dead on a cross and everyone goes, ha ha, see, he got what's coming to him. That's what everyone thinks when they look at him. And, um, you know, that's actually the lesson of Job, right? We talked about it. Um, we talked about it a couple weeks ago. Job's life is very bad. And his friends all think they've got the explanation for it. They think they know the point in which things fell apart. They think they know the place where his, he started living foolishly or ignored God or wasn't, uh, wasn't uh, wise enough. And no, actually, it turns out that this was a conversation between God and Satan. And that's why this all happened. And the explanation is not something wrong with Job. Um, that's, also the, that's also the theme, by the way, of the book of... Uh, um, uh, Habakkuk. Habakkuk has that theme as well. You've got all these people who are prospering and doing well, but they're totally evil. And Habakkuk is puzzled by it. And God says, hey, listen, they've got what's coming to them, but it's going to be later. It's going to be in my own way. It's going to be in my own time. Mm-hmm. So, um, so there are exceptions to the principles of the book of Proverbs. So think of Proverbs as principles that are generally true and that they have exceptions. So we'll see. Uh, in Ecclesiastes also, some of this is the case, right? That the, the people who are wise and live good lives, they end up dying too. So we'll talk about that. Um, content and themes. Again, this is probably the better way that you would preach Proverbs, that you would probably deal with Proverbs. So let's just talk about a few themes in the book of Proverbs. Uh, one, of this is, one of them is advice for youth. So really a book that, a big, big chunk of it is get your life started out the right way, if you wanted to think of it that way. Uh, young people need to be set on the right path early on. So what kind of advice does he give to the youths? He says, first of all, he says, avoid evil companions, right? He's talking about friends. Um, this doesn't mean don't be around sinners. It's not the lesson of the book. Um, I've quoted 1 Corinthians 5.10 maybe more times than I want to because I think it reminds us of this, but I'll quote it again just because. Paul says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not that all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. So he's not saying that uh, if you find anybody who's, if you meet somebody who's evil, don't talk to them. He's not saying even don't spend time around them, but he's saying you need to know who are the influences in your life, right? right? Like this is if, if you were a bunch of young people in this room, which some of you, you're very, very young. <laughs> All of it, you were one way or another, very young. Uh, but I'm just speaking as the gray-haired man, okay? I got one here and one here. As the gray-haired man, uh, I'm just saying, young people, make sure that you have good friends. Um, so this father is not saying don't be around sinners. He's not saying don't run. Uh, he's saying don't run with sinners, Right? He's, he's saying, don't follow their paths. Listen to this. Proverbs 1.10. Son, when sinners tempt you, don't give in. Son, don't go with people like that. Stay away from them. Right? That's, what, that's what Proverbs is saying. Um, 
Proverbs 4, 16, he says, do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of the evil. Um, Just listen to those verbs he's talking about. He's talking about entering. He's talking about walking. He says, avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it. Just think of all the verbs, all those active, uh, that active language he's using and paths and pass on for they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they've made someone stumble. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Um, isn't that interesting? He says, ponder the path of your feet. Think about what you're doing. Be thoughtful about your life. Um, you can imagine that that would be an important lesson to give to somebody who's young. To, to tell somebody, you should actually think about the way you're going to walk in life and the way you're going to comport yourself and the way you're going to go about everything that you do. Be thoughtful about it. Don't be like these people who just follow their whims and see where life takes them. Be somebody who's thoughtful. Um, Proverbs 22. Also talking about friends, talking about the kind of people you associate with. Listen to this. Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. Um, So he's saying don't go with a wrathful man, right? Again, um, don't make a friendship with someone who's given to anger. You can have relationships in your life, but being a friend with somebody and being like their companion and following them, that's something else. Who are you going to follow? Who's going to be the real influence in your life? The people we follow in life end up leading us. Um, When I was a teenager, I felt like I could see this principle playing itself out quite a lot. Uh, Before I followed Jesus, my friends led me from the path of God, and they weren't interested in the things of God. And I remember when I started thinking about Christianity, they started telling me, oh, don't talk to us about that Bible stuff. They didn't want to know about it. Um, After I became a Christian, I found some Christian friends, and honestly, they made all the difference in my life. It really, really, really changed, changed my life. So the relationships you have still have a huge impact. Um... Have to move on a little bit. Okay, um, here's another here's another lesson. Author of Proverbs says, "Put God first. Make God the highest priority in your life." Um, Proverbs one seven: To have knowledge, you must first have reverence for God. Right? The beginning, the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. Make God first in your life. Um, Proverbs three five to seven: Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Mm-hmm. Lean not on your own understanding. I don't know. I have some weird translation here. Did I, was, I, was I drawing this from the message? Listen to this translation. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Never rely on what you think you know. Why did I do this to myself? Um, <laughs> trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. You don't need to fix that translation. Come on. <laughs> Proverbs 3, 5 to 7. Oh, I don't know. I didn't put it down here. This sounds like New Living Translation or The Message or something. (laughs) Maybe I thought those college students wanted to hear The Message. (laughs) Some weird Parker translation, yeah. Um, But you see what he's getting at. And he does the same thing in Proverbs 9. He says, to be wise, you first have to have reference for the Lord. If you you know the Holy One, you have understanding. Um, You just keep going back to... God is the center of your life. God is the center of your life. He's the one that you care the most about. He's the one whose opinion you care the most about. What does God think of how I'm living my life? That should be the first question that a wise person asks. Amen. So anyway, just kind of he's, he keeps hitting on it uh, chapter after chapter. Uh, it's great.
Um, here's another one. Be, be disciplined and self-controlled. Um, that's not a popular idea either in 2021. Discipline, what? Self-control, what? Yeah. We've got this whole world with all these things that can kind of fix the consequences of our decisions. We can live however we want, and, and maybe there's a system in place that can just fix it so it's like I never did it, right? Mm-hmm. What happens in Vegas is supposed to stay in Vegas. Where was the promise? Where was the promise, Vegas? Um, <laughs> the Lord corrects those he loves, and the Father corrects the Son of whom he's proud, right? There's a sense in which we need to be willing to see the disappointments and the pains of life also as part of the lessons that God is teaching us. Um, we want to avoid pain, and we want to help our kids avoid pain too, right? When we see our kids suffering, when we see our kids get picked on, or when we see our kids have relational problems, you know, or when we see our kids uh, hurting, we want to do instant, instinctively, we want to go, okay, how can I help them avoid the pain that they're going through because of a decision that they made? And, and uh, the thing that Proverbs is telling us is maybe the pain they're experiencing is good. Maybe it is their teacher. Maybe it is something that they actually need right now. Um, Another lesson, don't be lazy. Wow, what a great like message. Uh, and also very simple and doesn't take a lot of work to explain, right? He, he has this section in uh, Proverbs 6 where he's like, check out this ant. Look at that ant over there. Look how much he carries. He carries like 20 times his body weight. Uh, consider the ways of this ant. Be wise. He says, without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer, gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. In other words, we should be diligent people. Uh, diligence gets exemplified in the book as the way of the wise, and laziness is, is, is spoken of frequently as this reflection of foolishness. So a, a, foolish person, a foolish person doesn't look ahead. They don't consider the consequences. Uh, a person who doesn't reflect upon the results of his action and of his lifestyle. I don't care what the results of how I live are going to be. That's what the fool says. Paul teaches something like this later on in his letters. He says that those who work, will not work will not eat. I know that gets frequently quoted, right? It always gets quoted like, see, so I'm not going to help anybody. <laughs> but, but that's not really the lesson. The, the lesson there really is that there is dignity in work. Um, there is, I, I was listening to, you know how we're supposed to be entering this new post-work. Have you heard this now? We're supposed to be entering a new post-work phase in humanity where everything's going to be robotic and people aren't going to have to work anymore. And then what will they do? And I was listening to a futurist who does believe that that's true. He does believe that we're going to get to a point someday where robots will do all the manual labor and all the work that we're used to. And then what will we occupy our days with? And he, and he actually said something that surprised me. He said, we would still need to find work for people to do because there's dignity in work and there's dignity in labor. And people still need to have something that gives their life meaning. And what gives their life meaning is productivity and contributing to society and building the world up. And so when we see somebody, you know, I was saying in the sermon this morning that it's complicated how we help somebody. One of the things that that person needs, if they are in need, they don't just need money. They need a purpose. They don't just need money, but they actually need a reason why they're waking up. And you can say the Lord is the reason they're waking up, but they are a part of society. And they find there is dignity in work. There's dignity in labor. Um, There is something about um, human dignity that gets diminished when we tell somebody, oh, you won't be able to work or you can't work. Um, 
So. But you, you, the problem would also be included that work is unto God, not as unto man. Yeah, yeah. So you're serving God. You serve as to God. You, you work as if you're working under the Lord. Um, and that's how you think of what you're doing. I had to do that when I worked at Applebee's. When I worked at Applebee's, I just flipped hamburgers all night long. That's all I did um, from like, you know, 5 p.m. until 11 p.m. And I hated it. Oh, it was just so repetitive. And you've, you've all had repetitive jobs, I know. Um, and all I could think was, I'm doing this for the Lord. I am doing this for the Lord. Uh, I'm not doing it because I just love staring at these brown patties with the grill marks on them, you know, like... You just, you do the work because you're, you know, you're feeding people, you know, you're helping people, you know, you're contributing. There's, there's dignity in that work. And it's hard. Sometimes people today kind of don't believe that, I think, um, largely. Uh, he talks a lot about, about avoiding immorality. I'm not going to highlight that anymore because we've been reading this week in and week out. I think that really the message has gotten through that every time Mike Amusin gets up to read, there will be a reference to breasts in the reading. That's what we've learned. <laughs> Every time he messages me and goes, why? Why did it happen again this week? <laughs> um, just go back to his weeks. It's just been hilarious. It's not on purpose or by design. But, um, but the, 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 that's a big theme in Proverbs. It just keeps coming up week after week, doesn't it? And it's maybe awkward to make it a part of public reading of Scripture, but it's God talking to us and saying that... We need to avoid immorality. There's a lot of, there's so much here. Don't be a fool, right? Anyone who loves knowledge wants to be told when he's wrong. A stupid person hates being corrected. That's, that's true. Um, a, a wise person is actually going to seek out critique. A wise person's going to say, how can I improve at what I'm doing? Um, I, and I know that in past jobs, the, the coworkers who said, how could I do this better, are the wor- best people to work with. You want to work with somebody who's open to being critiqued. Um, a big theme of this book is watch your tongue. Be careful how you talk. Uh, don't, don't take lessons from Adam and how he talks when he gets up here. You, know? you need to uh, rein it in. Uh, a careless talker destroys himself. Uh, a gentle answer quiets anger. Man, if we could just take that in. Right? A gentle answer quiets anger, but a harsh one stirs it up. Uh, don't wound people with careless words. These are just quotes out of Proverbs. Gossip is spread by wicked people who break up friendships. Um, he also talks about drinking. Don't drink too much. It makes you loud and foolish. Uh, he has a harsh words about drunkenness. Scripture speaks well of alcohol. It speaks of drinking as a blessing. It does not have kind things to say about people who overdo it. Um, I want to end, even though we're out of time, I want to just end just by pointing out one more thing about the book of Proverbs. And that is, and we could say more about Proverbs because this is a rich book. But you don't know how much I skipped. I just skipped tons of stuff. <laughs> the big thing from a New Testament perspective, when we look back at the book of Proverbs, is this idea that wisdom is not just an abstract set of principles, but that wisdom has become incarnate. And when we say incarnate, we mean enfleshed. He has come down and actually lives among us. Uh, he is the teacher who is greater than Moses. Um, he is the word who existed before the creation. Um, Paul calls Jesus the power of God and the wisdom of God. Um, These things, I think, should color how we read a book like Proverbs. So when we look back at a passage like Proverbs 8.22, 
Maybe we think differently in light of Christ. What does Proverbs 8.22 say? The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. You think of a passage like that. And here's what the early church fathers did. They had whole debates and conversations about what does it mean that the son is begotten of the father. And they would go to this passage in Proverbs. Isn't that funny? You go to the book of Proverbs to have a discussion about eternal generation of the son. What does that mean? That the son was begotten. And they would look at a passage like this and say, this is, this is talking about Jesus. And so the whole book of Proverbs is an invitation to wisdom, but it is really an invitation to follow Christ. And so we should think of the book like that. There's more we could say, but I'm grateful that the Lord has given us a book of wisdom like Proverbs. Let's, be, let's, let's make use of it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, would you make us people who fear you, who fear you and seek true knowledge of you. Um, help us not to be fools, O oh God. Help us not to follow our own instincts and our own impulses. Instead, make us those who set our eyes upon Jesus and who live before your face. Help us to live quorum Deo, before the face of God. Help us to be people who don't center our lives around ourselves and our own desires. Instead, O oh God, would you be our aim? Would you be our goal? Would you be our object? Would you be the one that we live for? Yes. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yeah.